Welcome to the CultureWise podcast, where God's good news meets the Latter-day Saints with wisdom and grace. Here, we aim to discuss topics relating to how followers of Jesus can more effectively reach Latter-day Saints in their relational networks. My name is Daniel Shugart, and I'm joined today by Ross Anderson and Nate Ray. Nate moved out to Utah in 2017 uh, as a church planter and is now the lead pastor at The Front. Nate, how can you share with us about uh, your journey with your sense of calling out to Utah and sense of calling with church planting? Yeah, yeah. Well, thanks, you guys, for having me. It's going to be a lot of fun to have this uh, conversation. Uh, A little bit about me. I'm a product of the Midwest, so born in Kansas, raised in Iowa, moved to Minnesota. And uh, I pastored in Minneapolis for uh, 10 years before moving out to the Salt Lake City area. And I started, uh, uh, I, I planted and pastored and started pretty young. And there's a lot that you learn by fire when you're doing that. And there's some stuff that you don't, a lot of stuff. And so uh, what ended up bringing me out here was a two-year ministry residency with a non-denominational church in the heart of Salt Lake City. And uh, my wife is from Utah originally, so we were looking around this area to see if there might be an opportunity. And, uh, and so we started to serve. And once I got here, though, I was exposed even more to the gospel need in Utah. Um, my heart was gripped by... Um, the need for people to know the Jesus whose yoke is easy and his burden is light. Mm-hmm. And, um, and I thought I can't go. Um, and God had to make that pretty clear because if you plant a church one time, sometimes you don't want to plant a church again. <laughs> Cause yeah. it's hard. It's hard. Yeah, you know? certainly. Uh, but um, man, it was pretty wild how God just and his timing uh, using crazy things like watching The Greatest Showman and hmm. feeling my spirit pricked, to um, to to reading a book, to it's not, uh, to to all sorts of things to just grab my attention and say, I want you here. And and the final straw. This is this is so cool. The final straw was I was actually talking to a pastor in Minneapolis about some pastoral opportunities back out there after my residency, and this pastor. Um, who I was getting to know, I just said, Nate, he said, you live in Utah. Your wife is from Utah. If I'm you, I take a shot at Utah for the kingdom. Mm-hmm. And then he says, I've been trying to convince people to plant churches for 25 years in Utah. And I'm like, who is this guy? Well, I looked <laughs> him up later and his name is Paul Johnson. He was actually influential and starting the church planning movement for the tribe we're a part of called Converge uh, uh, 25 plus years ago with his brother. And so I learned some stuff about Paul after the fact. But when when a pastor in Minneapolis tells you he's been trying to convince people to plant churches in Utah and says that, like my wife and I got into the car after that conversation and we looked at each other and started crying and said, we're really going to do this, aren't we? Mm-hmm. So. God called us here, and uh, uh, that uh, went from our ministry residency to um, becoming um, planting the front church in the south part of Salt Lake Valley. Mm-hmm. Okay, so h- tell us about that area. Why specifically that area is the front being planted in? Yeah, um, well, that is an exciting area to be planting a church. Um, I've heard it said that only 15% of church plants and the Salt Lake Valley survive past their fifth birthday. 
And so that means church planning is hard. Uh, and uh, uh, I, li- I liken this area to, uh, to a freshman in college going to a student involvement fair for the first time. They move into an area, they walk through the student involvement fair, they pick up 25 different brochures, mm-hmm. and they're thinking, what can I do? How can I get involved? And then they just start trying to do certain things and they try all these different clubs out. And eventually six months in, they're they're settled into their college routine. Well, that's actually what's going to happen in our area because there is a huge chunk of land right off of Interstate 15 and Draper that the old state prison sat on. And there's now a new state prison. There's no more prisoners there that prison land is going to be developed into a downtown center. Hmm. And Mm -hmm. the Draper area is going to supposed to be the second largest city in Utah in 15 years. And so you have a whole community in transition who might be open to new experiences that wouldn't otherwise be open to it. And so um, that's that's one of the reasons. The other is we want to see Latter-day Saints come to know Jesus. And uh, within... Five miles of where the front church meets, there are 96,000 people, and we are the fourth Christian church. And that's just not enough. Mm-hmm. <laughs> if people want to explore, if people want to explore what the Christian story is, uh, people don't know where to look. Maybe if you're a Christian listening to this and you like live somewhere else in the country, you're like, well, just go to the internet or go to the website. or like the, People, my neighbors don't know where to look. Mm-hmm. The way that they're going to know where to look for a church is if someone invites them to a church. And so uh, um, we want to see um, our uh, LDS neighbors come to know Jesus. And so we're, that's why we're in Utah and not yeah. somewhere else. Yeah. Yeah, I'm so grateful for that heart. How would you describe what is the vision of the Front Church? What what are you really aiming for as as you a leader and the the community that is the Front? Uh, at the Front Church, we're inviting as many people as possible to experience Jesus' story, and so to do that, uh, we want to make sure we're building bridges and not walls. Hmm. Uh, there are a lot of uh, Christians who can move to Utah, specifically from out of state, and they're really excited to be here. And they're really excited about the opportunity to see the story of Jesus impact people's lives. And sometimes they don't mean to, but just they can be a bit overzealous and can tend to build or can can tend to burn bridges before they build bridges. And so one thing that we want to do at the front is we want to create a safe space on Sundays for people to invite their Latter-day Saint neighbors, friends, classmates, coworkers, kiddos, and family Mm -hmm. to come to church. We think that because we are in the most religious but least Christian state in the country, Sunday morning is still a really valuable and important time. And it's a time where people were exploring things other than the LDS tradition. It's a time where people who maybe were once a part of the LDS tradition and now are no longer a part of the LDS tradition. It's a time where they can explore. And I think that they'll look to explore. And so that means that Sundays are a really important time for us. 
Uh, from this stage, we're, we're never going to say things like Joseph Smith or Brigham Young or the Book of Mormon or Mormonism or Latter-day Saints. We're not going to use any of that terminology hmm. okay. uh, because yeah. the thing we want to avoid on Sundays is we want to avoid making things some sort of a cage match, like we're hmm. in some sort of a battle with another religious system. Um, while that might have some spiritual truth, those strategies don't lend themselves to building bridges sure, with sure. our Latter-day Saint neighbors. And heck, if you are a former LDS and you show up at a church and that church is up there um, um, saying things that might be true but are going to be heard as being bashing, um, they still have family members. They still have friends. They still have people, dearly loved ones, who are part of that tradition, even if they've left. Mm -hmm. And it's going to offend them. And so what do we do? Well, it's not that complicated. We talk a lot about Jesus. Mm -hmm. We open the Bible and we talk a lot about Jesus. And Jesus says that the gospel is the power of God for salvation to all who believe. So when we talk a lot about Jesus, Jesus' spirit will work in people's lives. We don't need to juxtapose it next to the thing that is wrong as much as we need to talk about the thing that is right and true, and that's Jesus, and that's the gospel. And and it does—I mean, it serves us tremendously well to understand Mormon theology, to understand Mormon, his, uh, Mormon church history. All those things serve us well, to, uh, especially for me as the primary teacher, to have in the backdrop as I'm trying to figure out ways to communicate clearly the message of Jesus. Yeah. But I'm never going to juxtapose it against or frame it as if this is some battle. Mm -hmm. And so um, that's, a real, that's, a strategic, that's a strategic thing for us at the front. Um, yeah, so um, I love that idea, the idea of a safe place, and you've, you've started to help us understand what that means in terms of things you might say or not say. Um, can you elaborate on that, Nate, in terms of what, what is it, to the person walking in the door, what feels like a safe place to them? And then how do you, so here, here's a question I have. It's a bad, maybe it's the second question I should, I should save it, but I'm not going to. <laughs> and that is like, how do you coach your people to respect that? Because, you know, our, our, we can't control what someone who's in one of our people attending the church might pop off about some experience they had negatively with an LDS neighbor, who knows what. So what is a, so start with that. What does a safe place really look and feel like for that person walking through the doors? They've come maybe a long way and, and, and have experienced some risk even to drive up and, and decide to like penetrate your space. What does it feel like, look like to be safe? Uh, I'll tell you about my neighbor. Uh, my neighbor came to our grand opening and uh, a couple days later, we're having drinks in my backyard. And he says, Nate, I had a better time than I thought I would. <laughs> <laughs> Interesting. And I thought, yeah. oh, that's a win. That's a win. Yeah. And then he well, says, see, what did he yeah, expect? Yeah, I'm going to tell you. He, he, he didn't know what to expect. It was, it, it, here's the thing. It was his first time in a Christian church. Yeah. Period. Yeah. He didn't know what to expect. 
But he told me, I came in, I saw the coffee, I thought it was really cool that you guys had coffee, and I went and I sat down, and the music that you guys were playing as people were finding their seats was lively music. People talked to me. I didn't feel like I had to be quiet. I didn't feel like I, 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 I couldn't make any noise. He said, I, I had a genuinely good time. He said, worship was nice because some people raised their hands, some people didn't. People felt the freedom to kind of worship how they wanted to worship. Um, and he said, I had a better time than I thought I would. And I'm like, all right, man. Well, that's a win. Yeah, so here's yeah. what here's what that kind of looks like for Wait, us. Wait, did, did he wear a tie? No. Oh, he, no. Howard, he got the clued in not to... I, 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 we, we tell people, then pe- people ask, you know, that's a part of our frequently asked questions on our website too, is what do I wear? Yeah. Say, wear what you're comfortable wearing. Because there are some people who cannot, for the life of themselves, imagine going to a church without dressing up. And that's fine. Dress up then. Yeah. But wear what you're, wear what you're comfortable wearing. And... Um, and so for us, this is what a safe space looks like. If, uh, an example, if I go to an airport, I want to see clear signs mm-hmm. that tell me where I need to go. Then when I see my clear signs, I know, oh, that's where my gate is. I want to see where the bathrooms are. Yeah. <laughs> I, yeah, see, yeah. I don't want to feel like if I, it, it, so it, how does that translate to, to a safe space in a church? I don't want to feel found out. I don't want people to know it's my first time. Yeah. <laughs> I want to feel like when I go in, I want to be greeted, but it's not smothered. Yeah. Don't smother me. Yeah. Give me my space. But I want you, I want to know you're excited to see me. So I want to be greeted, not smothered. I want to go in and not feel like I need to go ask someone like, oh, where, where do I go now? Have clear signage, clear signage pointing to this is where worship is. There's where you can get your coffee. There's where you can check your kids in. Um, clear signage and, and, and a, ho- a hospitality team that's fired up and ready to go. And then on Sundays, a safe space is, um, again, talking a lot about Jesus, but working on how you frame mm-hmm. that message so that you don't have to make it some battle, but you can talk a lot about Jesus. And and then allowing enough anonymity. I would say even darker lights. You know, we can only darken the room so much, but I think people do kind of want some anonymity to feel like they can sneak in. And sneak out if they need to. We want to notice people, but 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 there there needs to be some anonymity. I have a friend who's former LDS, and she was just overwhelmed. She's overwhelmed with all the callings. She felt like she was never measuring up. Her husband was on the bishopric, and one day she did a very brave thing, and she went to the Baptist church a block and a half away after sacrament meeting. Mm-hmm. <laughs> And she said that first time she went to the Baptist church, all the preacher did was talk about Jesus, and she just sat and wept. Mm. Wow. It's not complicated. (laughs) (laughs) If we talk a lot about Jesus, in my experience, LDS people revere Jesus. They love Jesus. And so... Um, you know, I, I'm of the, um, whether we could call it the, the Ross Anderson persuasion or the Dave Rowe persuasion, like sometimes I just need to talk about Jesus's work in my life, the Spirit's work in my life, mm-hmm. to share that with my neighbors, to not worry about the fact that, okay, we do, we have tremendous differences in how we view God. We have tremendous differences in, in some sense in how we view Jesus. But instead of trying to worry about all those battles or all those fights we could pick or all those debates we could enter just to simply talk about our love for Jesus, Jesus' work in our lives, God's work in our lives. And it's amazing that the conversations that open up 
um, as, as a result of that and the friendships that bloom. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. So. so here's the follow-up then. How do you coach your people to maintain that safe space mentality? Because I know when Christians come to church, they feel like it's a safe space for them. They know that everybody's a community. So they, so they might have had a negative experience with Mormons in their life, whatever, and, and they're going to tell that story or they're going to tell a, a joke or something like that, not knowing that you know the LDS person, the guest um, from an LDS background is right around the corner. Mm-hmm. So how do we coach our people to respect that ethos? Uh, well, I, you had to pick your moments. And if Sunday morning, if if Sunday when ser- the service starts is not the time we're going to say Mormon or Latter Day Saint or uh, Joseph Smith, or if we're not going to use those words during the actual um, um, uh, service, then you have to pick your moments to use them at other times, specifically with regard to coaching your people. So we have a huddle every every Sunday morning before um, church. Uh, where we gather all our volunteers, and those are coachable moments. Mm-hmm. Those are moments where we can talk about we're preparing for company, we're preparing for guests. Um, so, so that that that's one way to do it. We talk to our community group leaders about um, um, the 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 no jokes about respecting people from different traditions. Mm-hmm. I think the other thing is every single Sunday, every single Sunday, I always say that if you're new, if you're not particularly religious, if you're from another tradition. We're creating the front church for you because we want as many people as possible to experience Jesus' story. Mm -hmm. And so communicating that over and over and over again, if you're from another tradition, which is the way that I think is a safe way to describe if you're Mormon. Right, because they don't feel singled out. (laughs) Right. If you use a more generic approach, and who knows, you know, there is there might be some people from other traditions besides Mormonism. And you want you want them to um, experience the story of Jesus, yep. right? Yep. So, 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 so that that's that's why. And then, of course, you pick your moments as you're discipling people too. And um, man, anytime I can have that conversation, where I'm like, knock it off with the Mormon jokes, mm-hmm. like knock it off, because that's that 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 is saying something about our heart. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and um, and we need to recognize like these things. This is this is um this is sacred. This is special to people, and and we believe some. Some some interesting, funny things too. Sometimes, so like we we can yeah. we we could take a humble posture in that sense. But like, you know, uh, there's a way that we use our language that is going to form our hearts, and so uh, uh, I think that's really important too. But we by no means are fantastic at at this. But I think we are good at creating this space. But um, that's always going to be a complication as Christians are coming to your church. Um, um, and especially former LDS people, uh, to, uh, I know you might be upset or mad or angry, or you felt deceived your whole life mm-hmm. and you're ready to just spit the venom. Yeah. But like, remember you didn't start there. You, 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 you were guided <laughs> at least most people. There might be a, an occasional person who was just blindsided by it all, <laughs> but most people, it took, it, it took a minute. It took some time. Mm-hmm. And as they discover more and more. It wasn't that in-your-face thing that that jolted them, but it was just that 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 discovery more and more, and 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 then help people say, okay, just as it took you some time, 
Like you got to give some other people time, mm-hmm. not just mm-hmm. yeah. Open up the open up the fire hydrant. <laughs> yeah, yeah. What are a couple of stories you can share of people who have been impacted by your engagement with them or the church's engagement with them? Yeah, yeah. Well, uh, where 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 do I start? Um, one, uh, we host a kids camp every summer. Uh, uh, we're only we're only one year old. <laughs> every, every, summer every summer so far. For two summers, we've hosted a kids camp. The summer before, we had a grand opening, and then this last year, and um, and this, this last year we had 130 registered participants. Fifty percent of our participants are from LDS households, mm-hmm. and and at least fifteen of those were were kids from our block, mm-hmm. from our neighborhood. Um, when you move to a neighborhood and you tell people you're starting a non-denominational Christian church, they look at you funny. Yeah. And, and that's fine. I mean, you've done nothing to earn credibility yet. But as you continue showing up in people's lives, as you continue be, being available, as you continue to build relationships and form friendships, people begin to trust you. Trust us so much that like 15, 15 kids from our block, um, mainly from LDS households, are coming to our kids camp. Uh, so that, that's a story. Um, I think that you need to seek out opportunities to continue meeting people all the time. And so I work from a co-working space in Lehigh called Kiln. And Kiln is an opportunity for me to feel like I have a bunch of coworkers <laughs> yeah, <laughs> as a church yeah. planner who has a couple of part-time and volunteer staff. But I have a lot more at Kiln, a lot of people working on all sorts of different things and startups and um, I'm talking to someone the other day. I just met this person. I literally just met them that day. I've sat by them a few times, finally start talking. And this person starts to share with me how, uh, once they find out I'm a non-denominational Christian church pastor, mm-hmm. they start to open up about the questions and the the doubts that their, their wife is going through. Hmm. And... Uh, so we start talking and I said, man, that sounds hard. And, uh, and we, we keep talking. And at the end of our conversation, the thing that struck me was he says, it's nice to finally be able to talk to someone about this because I can't really talk to my own community about it. And I said, yeah, I'm, I'm ready to talk again. Like, Mm -hmm. let's keep the conversation going. But that's a story where you just keep, you, you just show up in places or you're trying to show up in people's lives. And some people, you had to work for a long time and they finally crack and open up. And some people, mm-hmm. like this guy, he was ready to talk. He needed someone to talk. That was a spirit orchestrated moment. Um, so there's, there's stories like that too. Um, uh, you know, uh, we were talking just a minute ago. I think I think ministry in Utah in the the '90s and before, uh, a lot of Christians were trying to convince uh, Latter Day Saints to not be Latter Day Saints, and you don't have to do that convincing anymore. Mm, yeah, there that that convincing is happening whether they stumble over the CES letter, whether they just stumble over YouTube videos, whether they um um stumble over the church articles. Right. <laughs> the right, things right. that the things that they're like they were told not to trust these stories because they're from anti-Mormon literature. And now the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints is is writing articles saying everything that they were told not to trust. And now they're told like, oh, this actually happened. Mm-hmm. Like we do not need to do the work of convincing people to leave. 
we need to be there to catch them. Mm-hmm. And even in my conversation with my coworker uh, the other day, I just said, you know, I know that the ground may feel like it's shaken out from under your wife. I said, but my encouragement to people is there's a lot from organized religion that you may need to leave, but you don't have to abandon Jesus. Mm-hmm. Amen. And yeah. so, um, yeah. Yeah. How is it you go about finding these people to, to catch? You use that language of catching people. Um, where are they? How do you find them? How do you get in a, in a relationship with someone that is open to conversation like that? Uh, that's a great question. The Lord has wired me up in a really interesting way. Uh, I have never met a stranger. Uh, I I need about 30 minutes of personal time a week, and then I'm good to go. You know, like I'm, I'm, I'm ready to go. I'm ready for people. Um, and I don't know why, but this has always been true, whether I've lived in Minneapolis or now lived in Utah. People who are questioning and on the edge of faith open up to me. Yeah. They're not afraid. I don't know why. That's just, that's a gift from God to me. So part of this is just a spiritual gifting. But, um, but how do you catch people? Well, you got to keep showing up in people's lives. And then I try and find ways to gather people or to hang out with people. Uh-huh. I have a neighborhood guys group. We meet once every month or so. Uh, we're, there's usually drinks involved. And then these guys, uh, sometimes we talk about nothing mm-hmm. and we're just having a good time. But sometimes one of them mentions that they served a mission, and then the next guy talks about the mission they served. And before long, we're talking about all of it. Mm -hmm. And these guys need a safe space where they can talk about the faith that was once a part of their lives and is now no longer part of their lives, where they don't feel like they need to walk on eggshells. And so, you know, ministry in Utah is tricky, because if I invite all my neighbors to something— then my active Latter-day Saint neighbors and my non-active Latter-day Saint neighbors, that will short-circuit the types of conversations we can have Hmm. because we're going to tiptoe around things as to not offend or upset our active neighbors. And so it's almost a two-tiered approach where you got to continue to build relationships and be there and be available to catch people when they fall. Maybe they they finally crack and they tell you a doubt or a question they've been carrying for so long and you just, you're you're there for it. But then I think you have to create these spaces for people who are already leaving. They're they're gone. They've left the LDS church. Church, and they need spaces where they can begin to process. Right, right. And so it's it's my basement once a month hanging out. And um, and it's working from an environment where uh, I'm, I'm meeting a lot of uh, different people. And it's then meeting their friends and meeting their friends' friends. And and uh, and it's it's broadcasting this this message that if you're from another tradition, you can come to the front. And it's weird, like I guess in church world, sometimes we forget. We just assume people know they're invited. Oh, sure. They don't. Yeah, that's a great Nobody point. knows they're invited until you invite them. Yeah. And so you actually have to say the key phrase here. This is, it, this is probably worth the whole admission of the podcast. You say, you should come. What are you doing <laughs> on a weekend? Well, this weekend I, I, I went on a run. I hung out with some neighbors. And then Sunday I go to church. Hey, you should come. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's not, it's, but, but oftentimes we just describe our weekend mm-hmm. or describe something or describe the church we're a part of without ever including that invite. Like, you should come sometime. Mm-hmm. Um, 
And uh, my, my, my friend Lauren likens it to like, you know, you're walking around RC Willie. That's Utah right there. RC <laughs> Willie, yeah. you're walking around and the salesperson kind of approaches you and they're just kind of hovering in the background for a second while you're scoping out that couch. And they let you have your time with it. And then they kind of say, you should buy it. I, or I think you should buy it. Uh-huh, uh-huh. You know, and you're like, maybe I should, you know? Like, <laughs> you just, some people need that little nudge, but we can't assume that people know they're invited. We need to actually be That's doing funny. it and, and inviting. Yeah. That's I, a great point. I love the they, example. Yeah, because the, the, the world of, of uh, traditional Christianity is extremely foreign to the Latter-day Saint and the former Latter-day Saint. They just have no idea of the spiritual world outside of their own bubble. They're very myopic about the rest of the Christian or the religious world. And so we assume a lot that is just really not there. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah I, I know you're two-tiered approach was kind of a side comment, but I, I thought that was really significant. And it reminded me uh, just recently in my life, my my wife and I host a Bible study each week. Um, and in it, there's a, there's a handful of people who are kind of in a spiritual transition phase. And at that same time, you know, I, I met the LDS missionaries in my neighborhood and we, we told them that we study the Bible. That's really what we believe. And they were fascinated. They said, can we come? We, we really want to experience your Bible study. That sounds amazing. And we, we had to dance around answering them right away because yeah. we, we didn't know, like, yes or no. So my wife and I prayed about it some. We talked to some of the folks in, in our Bible study, and we the, the end of the matter really was, you know, we want these LDS missionaries to do a Bible study with us, but if they came uh, at the normal time with the folks that are there, it, it wouldn't be a safe space. Yeah. So we actually have to say, yes, missionaries, we'll meet with you a different day because we really still want to study the Bible with you. But just know that we can't invite you to this one because it wouldn't make it a safe space. And that's an awkward conversation yeah. to tell them openly. You, you make it a not safe space. But that's, Daniel, that's a really interesting case study of how, of how we have to think strategically. We have principles at play. We have things we say, slogans and stuff like that that we throw out there. But how do they actually actually apply in some of the, you know, the hurly-burly of everyday life and the situations that aren't always cut and dried? So you really had to think through and pray through what would be the appropriate application. That's a great example of that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And, and, and this is all biblical. <laughs> Like the Apostle Paul changes his approach in almost mm-hmm. every city he's in. He's got kind of yeah. a pattern, right? Like he does the synagogue first, if there's a synagogue, and then he goes out from there. And but he it, the 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 words, the language, the the things that he uses to point people to Jesus. The message is the same, mm-hmm. but 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 the way to get there changes. City to city, culture to culture, and you know, you, you guys. I mean, you guys are the you're the experts here. But uh, you know that this is way bigger than religious differences. Mm-hmm. These, this is a culturally unique people group, mm-hmm. and so we're dealing with culturally unique people groups, each of which are going to require some contextualization, some some um, uh, wise as serpents, innocent as doves mm-hmm. mentality. And so, you know, that's that's how it goes. Mm-hmm. That's part of what makes it exciting. Too, yeah, that makes it interesting, doesn't it? Yeah. 
Yeah, one of the things you shared with us a little bit before we recorded was uh, a, a couple of folks from the AUB who visited your church. And uh, depending on the listener, some may have no idea what that is. Some may be very familiar. Tell, tell us that story. Trivia. Who knows what the AUB, AUB is? I do. Okay, Ross does uh, the Apostolic United Brethren. Um, is a polygamous offshoot of the FLDS, which was an offshoot (laughs) of the LDS Church back when the LDS Church decided that it was no longer going to practice polygamy in the late 1800s, and the FLDS branched off. And then I don't actually know the history of why the Apostolic United Brethren branched off the FLDS, but they moved north from, um, from southern Utah and they planted themselves in the uh, Bluffdale area, which is where we are. We are in Bluffdale, right next to Draper. We love it there. Um, when I first did a Google search of all the churches within a five-mile radius of the front church, I, I saw uh, a cross on this church building in South Bluffdale called the Apostolic United Brethren. And I'm like, who are mm-hmm. these guys? Like, <laughs> yeah. I, uh, um, you know, you see Moroni on any Latter-day Saint church building in Google, but I was like, who are these guys? Well, they're, they have lived in Bluffdale for a long time. Mm-hmm. They've yeah. had a presence in Bluffdale for yeah. a long time. So yes, um, they're around. Now, that was no news to us when we started the front church. But what is crazy is that we have a family who attends every week, every week. Hmm. Mm-hmm. And that has been a shock. I went to my church planning coach and I asked him, I said, hey, uh, Lauren, have you ever had any uh, polygamist visit your church before? And he says, yeah. And I said, have you had any like keep coming back? <laughs> and he and he said, no. <laughs> and and we laughed. And then he just grinned and said, man, I love doing ministry in Utah. Yeah. Um, and so, yes, we have a family that's been coming. And they keep coming. And I don't know what the Lord is doing, but we're going to trust Him with that. Mm-hmm. And the same approach, the same approach that we take with our LDS neighbors about creating a safe space on Sunday is also the approach of this family. We want to be consistently there for them. Um, we're getting to know their kids. Their kids are involved in our kids' ministry. As an aside, kids' ministry. We think that's the most important ministry we do at the front. Because we believe that if we reach the kids, we'll reach the families. And if we screw up the kids' ministry stuff, that it doesn't matter how rocking your Sunday worship is. <laughs> if you're messing up the kids' stuff, they're not going to come yeah, back. Come back. And yeah. so we we pride ourselves on making Kid Front, which is what we call our kids' ministry. Mm-hmm. We pride ourselves on making Kid Front an amazing experience where kids are hearing the story of Jesus in a way that is age appropriate for them, and uh, they are learning and they are having a great time doing it. But um, this family uh, also their their kids are part of Kid Front. Mm-hmm. And um, and we even we even let we even let the mom volunteer. Uh, we our volunteer philosophy is um, um, if you are a leader, like a like what if you're teaching kids or if you're teaching grownups or if you're on the stage with a microphone or if you're a vocal leader with with like the band, you need to have a vibrant relationship with Jesus. Mm-hmm. But if you are making coffee or smiling at someone or welcoming them or checking kids in, we don't care. We want you to keep coming. And we want 
you to continue to hear the story of Jesus. And we are praying and begging the Holy Spirit to to work in your life. Mm-hmm. And you know he does it. I want to maybe remind me about some a couple more stories. I have, I have a couple more I want to share. But it's not, they aren't AUB stories. So No, feel free to okay, jump in with okay. those. Okay. This is a prayer we like to pray at the front. Lord, when people come, may they have an experience of your spirit so strongly that they will leave and think, what just happened? Mm-hmm. Now, for those of you who are listening and don't know me from Adam, I'm not like super theologically charismatic or anything like that. Um, some of you are great. Love you guys. But um, I would consider myself charismatic with a seatbelt. Um, <laughs> but, um, but, but, but that said, um, uh, we don't, uh, I mean, our, our band is good, but they're not like crazy amazing. Like we're not doing anything super special at the front, but we pray, Lord, would people have an experience of your spirit mm-hmm. that, that leaves them thinking what just happened. And for people who are not religious, who don't have a language of spirit, yeah. that they would just leave thinking, mm-hmm. I don't know what, uh, whoa, you know, just something happened. And man, that very, our, our grand opening, my sister invites her neighbors, her neighbors show up at church. They've just left the, the LDS church less than a year prior. They show up. And the, the next week, my sister is talking to her neighbors. And she's like, you know, what'd you think? You know, how, how'd you like it? And they're talking. And then uh, the husband says, man, what was that song that you guys did that? Hmm. That song in the middle of the music set? What was that song? And it, it was a song, um, Living God, which uh, is a song. You're the living God, the living God. Death is never going to hold you. It's never gonna hold me, cause you're the only thing, hold, or you're the only one holding on to me. It's so good, and it's a big song. And the band, mm-hmm. the band still was pretty new with each other. Like they mm-hmm. played a song better now than they did a year ago. <laughs> but a year ago, grand opening, my my sister's friend asked, "What was that song?" And she finds out, and she tells him, and he says, "I felt something in that song that I've never felt in my entire life." Mm-hmm. That's not an isolated yeah. story. Yeah. That happens again and again and again when people come to the front and they don't necessarily know what they're getting themselves into. And the Spirit of God, whether they use that language or not, mm-hmm. the Spirit of God is doing something. Mm-hmm. And so, um, now again, sometimes in Utah, I think we make it a little more complicated than it's got to be. Talk a lot about Jesus. Ask the Spirit of God to move. You know? Play some worship songs that these guys are already listening to on K-Love. Like, have you guys figured out why Mormons listen to K-Love? Because I still haven't figured it's it un- out it's yet. It's uncanny. It's uncanny. It's now, so positive and encouraging. Couple, maybe so. That may, has yeah, to be stop, that. Stop. <laughs> <laughs> it's interesting because a, a couple, two, three years ago, there was a radio station. I don't know, Nate, if you encountered this, a radio station that opened that tried to do um, a kind of cross-platform what... So they tried to do the K-Love songs and the LDS um, sort of pop culture, contemporary LDS songs. It, it didn't make it for some reason, you know, I don't know. But K-Love, you know, very no. popular. This is my hunch, just a hunch. I think that in the, in the Latter-day Saint theological system, God is far away. Mm-hmm. Yeah, God, God is not transcendent. There's no yeah. transcendence. Yeah. And, and singing about the nearness of God... 
and listening to songs about mm-hmm. the nearness of God is tapping something. Mm-hmm. And you know, that's that's my hunch. But yeah, there's a there right, there's a spiritual void in the culture that in the religious system that sets up potentially we'd love to see that people hungry for for Jesus for the real thing. Yes. You know? So we leverage this. We utilize this. Our there's no one size fits all Mormon, you know, and you guys yeah. know that. Uh, reaching LDS people 20 years ago is different than reaching LDS people today. I was talking to someone at my my workspace a few months ago, and he's like, "Yeah, I just read this book by Craig Rochelle, Winning the War Your Mind." And I'm like, "Oh yeah," and he talks to me for a second about Stephen Furtick and some clips that he's watching, some sermon clips. And then I'm like, oh, do you know about Elevation Music? We start talking about Elevation Music. Then I'm like, he's like, I started listening to Maverick City Music because I was listening to Elevation Music. I'm like, oh, that's cool. I'm like, well, what, are you a part of a faith tradition or anything? And he's like, yeah, I'm LDS. You know, I'm like, there's no one size fits all <laughs> right. Mormon. Right. But that, like, there's no sense in wasting ener- any energy trying to um, tell LDS people what they believe. Right. And that's what some Christians are trying to do. Right, right, right. Your, your church leaders believe this, so you need to get out of there. Oh. How about just asking them what they believe? Yeah. And then we work from there. And we let that establish a common ground, and we work from there. And um, um, so uh, it's, uh, it is a fun time to do ministry with... Uh, LDS people who read Craig Rochelle and listen to Maverick City mm-hmm. music. Yeah, and, yeah. Never a dull moment. Yeah. Right? <laughs> yeah. 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 Well, Nate, what would you hope a listeners can grab a hold of from your experiences, the things you shared, wh- whether it's church leaders, ministry leaders, or even just the everyday follower of Jesus? What would you hope they can grab onto? I think it's really important to learn from people and churches who are seeing the most LDS people come to faith. Um, I think it's really, really important. I think that we need to humble ourselves, and we might be um, attracted to certain ideas about how to reach LDS people and our Latter-day Saint neighbors, and they may even have a pull on our hearts. I think maybe you need to do some work with the Spirit there and discern. Maybe maybe God put that pull on your hearts for a reason. But I think that, honestly, I think a lot of us come with a vision of what it looks like to reach LDS people. And we need to listen to those who are, who are being used by God to effectively reach LDS people. Mm-hmm. That's just so, so, so important. And, um, and if you're listening to this and you're from like out of state— be kind to the missionaries. Uh, I apologize to missionaries or people when I act at people who are active members of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. We start talking about their mission, and I'm like, oh, I might have to apologize to you because I think some people from my tradition maybe didn't treat you so well on your mission. And then I start hearing stories, you know. And we we have to we also be kind because. There are so many, if you're from out of state, there's so many people who return from their mission and they leave the faith. But they're not going to leave the faith because they got yelled at by you. Yeah. But they will leave the faith if they feel loved by you, if, if maybe you had some conversations. It's what one of my friends calls uh, a pebble in their shoe. 
or eventually they get this like, you know, you can walk with a pebble in your shoe for a minute, but eventually you got to stop and take it out. <laughs> and so I, I be, be um, grab those pebble in your shoe moments, but don't feel like you just need to enter a religious debate with, with missionaries either. Trust the spirit of God who is working. Um, and, 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 and I have plenty of friends who, as soon as they got home, they're done. <laughs> yeah, that's, they got yeah. home from their mission. That's like they should be all in, and they're done. And so, um, um, I, I, I would say that to people who are who are out of state too. Um, and then know that if your um, LDS friends are trusting you with their questions and their doubts, it's a huge deal. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's huge. And so don't feel the pressure to need to respond right away. Listen. I was given a gift a couple years ago because I, I feel like anytime I'm confronted with something, I need to respond right away. Yeah, yeah. And someone just said, no. They said, tell them, thank you for bringing this to my attention. Let me pray about it, think about it, and I'll get back to you. Yeah. Take that same heart posture with your friends who begin to divulge the things that are going on in their lives or in their head or their doubts or their questions. Don't feel like you got to respond right away, but listen, make sure they feel heard and then pray about it. Do some research, come back, keep the conversation going. Mm -hmm. You can't rush these things. You can't rush them. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Thank you so much for these insights. I appreciate you coming up to join us on this podcast episode. So thank you. Yeah, it's a pleasure. Again, this is the Culture Wise podcast where God's good news meets the Latter day Saints with wisdom and grace. <laughs> <laughs>